0: And that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Last week, we transitioned from Jesus' words to Jesus' works. As we closed out the Sermon on the Mount, we saw that the crowd was captured by Jesus' authority. They say in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 29 that Jesus talked as one who had authority, not like the scribes. And so there was this sense of authority in which Jesus taught. And as we move to Matthew chapter eight and nine, Matthew begins to show us that Jesus' words not only have authority, but his works also have authority. And so last week, as we looked at Matthew chapter eight, verses one through 17, we saw that Jesus has authority over disease. As he healed three different types of people, he healed a leper, a Gentile, a centurion's slave, a woman. And in verse 17, we were reminded that these healings were Jesus pointing us to the purpose for his coming. Because in verse 17, Matthew quotes for us and says that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Which is where Isaiah prophesied that there would be a king who would come who would be a suffering servant. And this suffering servant would be the Messiah and Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy. His death would reverse the curse of sin. His death would heal our sin sick souls. So it just wasn't about the a fact that Jesus had authority over disease. Matthew is saying this, this authority that Jesus is showing us by healing people is pointing us to the greater reality that Jesus is going to die on the cross for our sins. And when he dies on the cross for our sins he will reverse the curse of sin. With death and disease and all of that, he, he will reverse it. And one day we will experience the reverse of that when we spend an eternity with him in heaven. Matthew continues today showing us Jesus' authority through... His encounter with some potential followers, his encounter with nature and darkness. So here's our outline today. Really, this is all of Matthew chapter 8. If you were wanting to outline it, this is a good way for you to to remember that it's all about Jesus' authority. So last week, we looked at the first 17 verses that Jesus has authority over disease. Today, we will finish out the chapter by looking at the fact that Jesus has authority over disciples. We'll see that in verses 8. 18 through 22. Then we'll see that Jesus has authority over nature in verses 23 through 27. And then we'll end by seeing seeing that Jesus has authority over darkness in verses 28 through 34. So let's stand together and I'm going to read through this so we can get a, a big idea of the text and what's going on. And you can feel, rather than chopping it up, as we do when we go through verse by verse, it's good, I think, to read the whole text, sort of get the flow of the passage and where we're going and what's going on today as we look at these uh, encounters that Jesus has. So I'll read it out loud. You follow along quietly in the word. Matthew chapter 8. Verses 18 through 34. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, "'Lord, let me first go bury my father.' And Jesus said, "'Follow me, and leave the dead to bury their own dead.' And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep, and they went and woke him, saying, "'Save us, Lord, we are perishing.' And he said to them, why are, you, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of Gardart, yeah, you know what that is, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, "'What have you to do with us, O Son of God? "'Have you come here to torment us before the time?' "'Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, "'and the demons begged him, saying, "'If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs.' "'And he said to them, "'Go.' "'So they came out and they went to the pigs. "'And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea "'and drowned in the waters.' The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Father, thank you for your word. We never want to take for granted that we get the opportunity every week to open your word and to study so that we can know You more, and not just so we can know and be hearers of the word, but Lord, so that we can know you, so that we can follow you, we can be doers of the word. And so today, as we see your authority over disciples, as we see your authority over nature, as we see your authority over darkness, I pray that it would motivate us to live our lives in fear of you, to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you thank you, Lord, for each person that's in this room. And I know that you have something for them today because your word does not return void. So I pray that you would give them ears to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I worked on that word. and No surprise to you guys that I worked on that word this week and it still didn't work out very well. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, we find that Jesus has authority over his over disciples. Look at verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side and a scribe came up to him. And remember, a scribe was a religious person of the day. So a scribe comes up to him and says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. This guy seems like a genuine guy and like this is a good thing for you to say when you recognize someone who has authority, right? That you would say to him, I will go with you wherever you go. It seems like the guy's heart is right towards Jesus. But if you look in verse 20, Jesus obviously sees something different in this young man's heart or this man's heart when he says, foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nest, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus basically tells this potential follower of him, I can't guarantee you the comforts of this life. Like I hear what you're saying that you said you will follow me wherever you go. But I can't guarantee you the comforts of this life. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Now, did Jesus have a place to lay his head? Well, sure, he he had his mom, right, that was there and family. He had a place to lay his head. But the point that he was making to this potential follower of him is that he wasn't here to provide him the comforts of life. If he chose to follow Jesus, there was no signing bonus, right? There was no temporary perks that he would give in following him. Another man comes up to Jesus and says to him, Lord, verse 21, let me go first and bury my father. Uh, This man who... Comes to Jesus and says he wants to first go bury his father, seems like he's doing the right thing by the law, right? That he is honoring his father and mother, that he wants to take care of some family business before he begins to follow Jesus. There's a lot of debate over what this disciple potentially had in his mind. Was his father already dead and so he just wanted to go to his father's funeral? Or was his father still living and he was waiting until his father died so that he could get his inheritance? And once he had his inheritance, then he would come follow Jesus. So once he had all the money from his father's inheritance, then he's got some security and so then he can go follow Jesus. We don't really know because scripture doesn't tell us. But the main point that Jesus, I think, is making in this text is that the man's allegiance is divided to Christ. He really wants to follow Jesus, but he also wants to hang on to this life. He is saying, I don't want to be all in with you right now. I want to take care of some family business. Then after I take care of the family business, then I'll go all in with you, Jesus. Jesus says to him, leave the dead To bury their dead. Jesus is telling the man, if there's anything in your life that keeps you from surrendering to Christ, then you're not ready to follow me. If Jesus does not have ultimate authority in your life, you're not ready to follow him. What's interesting about this fact that Jesus has authority over disciples is there's no response When we see disease, there's response, right? The disease leaves. When we see nature in just a second, there's response. When we see darkness, there's response. This is the only one where we don't know the response. It doesn't tell us, did the disciples, were they like, all right, you're right, right? Like, you're not providing me the comforts of this life, so I'm going to follow you. Or you're right, I should let the dead bury their dead, and I'll just come follow you right now. And I, I think it's strategic that Matthew doesn't put the response of the disciples in there, because it leaves us with the tension, the tension that all of us feel in our hearts when it comes to following Jesus. And I think that's why Matthew doesn't allow us to know what did the scribe choose? What did this other potential disciple of Jesus Christ choose? We, we don't know what they chose. And he leaves us in the tension of the moment of Jesus saying, I need you to surrender your comfort. I need to, you to surrender your allegiance to follow me. So Jesus is showing us that he has all authority over disciples. Then he goes on and we see that Jesus has all authority over disciples. Nature. Look at verse 24, verse 23. They get into the boat and his disciples followed him and, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. And so the disciples follow Jesus into this boat. They're going from the region of, of Galilee. Or they're going from the region of the Jewish people to a Gentile region, about a six-mile boat ride that they're going on here to the, to the Gentiles to reach the Gentiles with the gospel as well. And so they get into the boat and they follow Jesus and behold, a great storm came on the sea. And this was typical to this Sea of Galilee, that storms would come up out of nowhere. So a storm comes up. And the boat was being swamped, it says in verse 24, by the waves. So you can imagine the tension in the boat, right? As the waves are overcoming the boat and the winds are blowing it around. And there's this tension in the boat. And I love what Matthew records for us. But Jesus was asleep. Don't you love that? Jesus is a man after my own heart. He loves naps, you know? (laughs) There is nothing like a good nap. But why would he record that for us? Why is it important for us to note that Jesus was asleep in the midst of this storm? I think what Matthew is wanting us to see is the humanity of Jesus. That here he's been healing people all day long. He's he's tired and when he gets in the boat to go to this Gentile area, he falls asleep in the boat. He gets tired. I think of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, which says, Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. Jesus understands when you're tired and you need a nap, and it's okay. Sometimes in the church, I think we get this mentality of work for the night is coming when man's work is done, right? And it's just like this press on. Sometimes you know what you need? A good nap right? Sometimes it's okay to say I don't got strength in and of myself and I need just to go lay down and take a nap and then I'll come back after that. As my wife would say, she either hands me a Snickers bar and says, you're hangry, eat the Snickers bar so you can sort of calculate yourself or go take a nap. (laughs) What is she reminding me? I'm human. And, And I want you to know today you're human as well. And I think what Jesus and Matthew are doing in this text is reminding us that Jesus was fully God, yes, but he was also fully man. And he was worn out from all that he'd been interacting with and all the people that he'd been with. And he just needed a nap. He just chose to take a nap on the sea in the middle of a storm. It shows us the humanity of... Of Jesus, And so I just, again, a side note, this has nothing to do really with my points today, but I would encourage you if you're tired, take a nap, right? That's some, sometimes that's the most spiritual thing that you can do is to rest and to be restored because what do we say to God when we do that? I'm not in charge. That's the beauty of sleep every night when we go to sleep. What we're saying to the Lord when we go to sleep is, I'm not in control. My body is worn out. I am tired. And I need you to restore me. And so, again, just, that's not the point of the text today. But I think it would encourage you. Verse 25, they come to Jesus. Jesus must have obviously been a hard sleeper because it says, they went and woke him, saying... Save us, for we are perishing. The disciples cry out to Jesus to save them. And then in verse 26, and Jesus says to them, as he's rubbing his eyes, waking up, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm and look at verse 27 and the men marvelled. Now just think about it. these guys just saw Jesus heal a leper. They just saw Jesus touch the hand of Peter's mother-in-law and she was healed. And we don't see any response that Matthew records for us. But in this boat, as their life is on the line and Jesus rebukes the winds and the sea, they marvel. They're amazed at what Jesus has just done. And they say, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? they're saying who is this guy that he has authority over nature that he just speaks and it's calm who is this guy if they were a good jewish audience their mind would have ran to the old testament where it says that only god can do what jesus just did look look with me in psalms chapter 65 Verses 5 through 7. It says this of God. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness. O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth. Of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains. Being girded with might. Who stills the roaring of the seas. The roaring of the waves. The tumult of the peoples. Who is this? This is God. He he calms he steals the roaring seas. Look at Psalms chapter 89 and verse 9. It says of God that he rules the raging of the sea. When its waves rises, he steals them. Look at Psalms 107 verses 28. In verse 29, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. The waves and the sea were hushed. As they would have seen Jesus do this miraculous miracle of calming the seas and the waves, their mind would have ran to the Old Testament. Only God can do that. Only God can still the seas and and the winds and the seas. What we're seeing is that Jesus is God. And their minds would have been running, is this the son of God? Is this the king of the Jews? Is this the one that we have been waiting for? And as we see him calm the winds and calm the seas, their mind would have been going, this must be the son of God. Of God, This must be the king because he has authority over the winds and the seas. And they responded with amazement. Then in chapter 8 verses 28 through 34, we see that Jesus has authority over darkness. So we've seen Jesus has authority over disease. He has authority over his disciples. He has authority over nature. Now Jesus encounters the darkness of of this world, I think you know this, but just to remind you, the Bible is clear that there is an unseen battle going on around us. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the darkness of this world. So there is a spiritual warfare going on all around us, and in this passage, we see it come to light. And so we see as Jesus and his disciples get to this Gentile region that two demon-possessed men come out to meet Jesus from the tomb. They're they're so fierce that no one would go down that path. So as Jesus and the disciples exit the boat, two demon-possessed men to come to him and the life of these men, as you read other gospels, is marked by who they're controlled by. They were known in their community as crazy men. We know from other passages that they lived amongst the tombs and ran around naked. Here we know that people avoided even going down the path where they were at because of fear of them and just sort of wanting to be distant from them. What's interesting is that in Matthew's gospel, he says there were two demon-possessed men. But if you go read Mark's account of this story and Luke's account of this story, they only record for us that one demon-possessed man was healed. So why would Matthew, who's looking at the same story that Mark and Luke are looking at, why would he tell us that two demon-possessed men were healed? Well, it takes us to the theme and the reason that Matthew is writing this gospel. You remember what the theme is? The theme is Jesus is king. And so Matthew's whole point of the gospel is that he's wanting to prove to the Jewish audience, if they're going to take this gospel to court, he's wanting to show them that Jesus is king, that Jesus has all authority. Well, in a Jewish court, the only way you would accept the witness of someone is if there was two witnesses. And so because Matthew is writing to a mainly Jewish audience, he records for us that there were two demon-possessed men. And it gives us a hint to his theme. His theme being that Jesus is the king. Mark didn't feel the need to record that. There was just one man that was healed. Luke didn't feel the need to record that because that wasn't the point of why they were writing. But Matthew chooses to record for us that two men were healed because he's trying to prove to his Jewish audience that Jesus is king. And where there are two witnesses... There, are, there is authority there, and so Jesus is showing his authority by the presence of these two men that were healed. So, a little, little bonus for you there of why there's two versus others. And behold, these men come, and it's interesting, they, the demon, demons, cry out to Jesus, and they say three things to Jesus. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? And if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. I think it's interesting that the men don't address Jesus. The demons address Jesus. And I love how they address Jesus because the first thing they say is, What do you have to do with us, O Son of God? Here's what I want you to know. They knew who Jesus was. They knew who he was. They knew that he was the son of God. The second thing, when they say, have you come to torment us before our time? They knew where they were going. They knew what their end was. They, they understood that in Revelation 19, one day they'll be tied up and thrown into the lake of fire. One day they'll be in eternal torment forever. And so that's why they say to Jesus, don't torment us before our time. We know what's coming for our story, but don't, don't, don't send us there yet. Then they say, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. What are they saying when they say that? They know who has the authority in their life. They know that Jesus has ultimate authority and they can't do anything without his permission. And so they say to him, don't don't torment us before our time. Instead, will you cast us in to those people Satan and his workers, I've said this before, know that they are on a leash. That they only can do what God allows them to do. And so Jesus listens to them and look at verse 32. And Jesus says to them, go. And what do they do? They obey because Jesus has ultimate authority. They come out, they go into the pigs and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Verse 33 says the herdsmen fled and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon possessed men. And so we sort of think when we come to verse 33, that this is going to be a really like a big moment. There's going to be worship of Jesus. This is incredible what Jesus has done. Like that's sort of the anticipation because you feel the weight of these guys in this community, that they've disrupted the community, that people don't even go where they're at. And so the natural thing would be like, look at what Jesus has done. He shows his authority over darkness and man, this is exciting. Let's celebrate this. But you saw as we read and you hear it now, verse 34, and behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Not the response I was thinking. That when Jesus would show his authority over darkness, that people wouldn't just run and follow him, but instead they would say, could you go back to the Jewish region? We don't want you around here. Why, why would they do that when Jesus has delivered these demon-possessed men? Well, we have to understand that in this Gentile region... And other gospels would tell us this, these pigs was probably about 2,000 of them. And this is why we know it's a Gentile region because Jews viewed pigs as unclean, right? So you, Jewish people, farmers, didn't have pigs because they were unclean. So we know it's in a Gentile region and we know that this was their livelihood, And so what's happening in this moment when the demons go into the pigs and they run and drown themselves in the water, that what has happened is they have watched their livelihood drowned. They have seen all that they've worked for go into the lake and drowned itself. The response of these people is disappointing But not shocking because in their eyes Jesus lacks concern for their property. It is a way of mankind to care more about things than people. And Jesus has come to redeem people. And in this moment, they don't care about the demon-possessed men, that he has delivered them from the darkness, that he has authority to do that. They care more about the fact that they've just lost 2,000 of their pigs. They care more about their stuff than they do the people in their community. It takes me back to the Sermon on the Mount, where God says, you cannot serve God and money This is what is happening in this community. They are serving money and this is revealing their heart. That they don't believe that Jesus has authority to provide for them. Instead, they're upset with him and say, get out of here. We want nothing to do with you because you've taken our livelihood. What's interesting is if you go to Mark chapter 5 where Mark records this and Jesus is about to leave, he listens to them It says that this man comes to Jesus, that they've healed these men, and they want to follow Jesus. They want to get back in the boat with him and go to the other areas. But Jesus says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus leaves these demon-possessed men behind to be a witness. Even though they wanted Jesus gone, Jesus leaves these men behind to say, I want you to continue to be present in your community. I want you to continue to share the difference that I have made in your life. He leaves them there as a witness. So in chapter 8, we have seen that Jesus has all authority. Verses 1 through 17, he has authority over disease. Verses 18 through 22, he has authority over disciples. Verses 23 through 27, Jesus has authority over nature. Verses 28 through 34, Jesus has authority over darkness. So when you and I encounter authority, you have to choose how you will respond to that authority. In each one of these stories, except for the disciples, when they encountered Jesus, they had to respond. There was no middle ground. It either left or stayed. Like they, they had to respond to Jesus' authority. So this is my question for us to sort of bring chapter 8 to a close is how will you, how will we respond to Jesus' authority? I think this is, as we see Jesus' authority, this is what Matthew chapter 8 is about. But it pushes us to say, how are we going to respond to Jesus' authority? It's one thing to mentally understand that Jesus has all authority. It's another thing for it to get to our heart and our hands. It's another thing for it to change our lives, that Jesus has all authority. Authority. So I would say it this way for us. Since Jesus has all authority, there's four ways that I think from the text we should respond with. Since Jesus has all authority, the first thing I would encourage us to respond with is faith. Faith is the confidence that Jesus has all authority and whatever he says, he will do. Faith is a confidence that Jesus has all authority and he will do whatever he says. This step of faith that we talk about, this trusting in Jesus, the first part of this is salvation. That we believe that in and of ourselves, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But through faith, through grace in Jesus Christ, we are made right with God. We believe that Jesus has authority to save us from our sins. That's why he could say in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because he has that kind of authority. And today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the first step in your journey with Jesus is faith, is to trust in him, is to put your full confidence in him and know that he has the authority to save you, that he has the authority to rescue you from your sins, that he has the authority to not only give you an eternity in heaven, but to give you an abundant life now. He has the authority to do that. Do you believe that? It's one thing, again, for you to mentally assent that Jesus has all authority. It's another thing to respond with faith and full confidence that he will do what he said he will do. And so I think the first step of faith is this step of faith of salvation. But I think we continue, the Bible says, to live by faith. We continue to live in the confidence that Jesus has all authority. And how do we live in that confidence? How do we continue to model for the world around us that we believe that Jesus has all authority? Well, I think James gives us some insight into that. In James chapter one and verse two, when he says, my brothers and sisters count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have a perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. The only way James could say that about trials is if he understood that Jesus had all authority. That's the only way he could say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Because only Jesus has the authority to say, I'm going to allow trials in your life to make you more like Christ. Think about Job. Remember the story of Job? He's living his life for God. He's living in fear of God. And what does Satan do? He comes to God and says, have you considered Job? Like, I think if you take away his health and his finances and all that kind of stuff, he's, he's not going to follow you. And what does the Lord say? I'll let you go so far, right? You can take his family. You can take his stuff. But we'll go from there. Then he can take his health, right? Does, does Job turn on the Lord? No, it's a struggle and he works through it. But he has faith that God is at work in his life. The only way that he could do that is if he understood that God has all authority. When it comes to your story, do you believe that God has all authority over it? If I'm honest with you and I look at my story, there's parts of it that I wonder. Whether I've hurt somebody or somebody has hurt me. But if I genuinely believe Matthew chapter 8, that Jesus has all authority, it changes how I live my life. That I have full confidence that whatever comes in my life, Jesus has authority. It may not be what I would have written for my story. It may not be how I would have planned it out and drawn it out and the goals that I have for my life. But I know that Jesus has all authority and I can trust him. See, I think it's easy sometimes. Not easy is the wrong word. I think sometimes... We can trust Jesus with our eternity, but we have a really hard trusting him with tomorrow. Like, it's like, sure, I've got fire insurance. I know if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. But we look at our tomorrow and it's like, well, I I don't know if he'll take care of me. He has the authority to save me and spend an eternity with me, but he doesn't have the authority to help us right here and now. I think that's why he looked at the disciples and said, oh, you of little faith. Like, don't you know that I have the authority? Even when I'm taking a nap, I still got the authority (laughs) because I'm God. Since Jesus has all authority, we respond with faith. The second thing I see is that we respond with surrender. We see this in the story of the disciples that although we, we don't know how they responded, we know that Jesus was going after their heart and that they wanted comfort, they wanted uh, sort of the, their dream of their life, they wanted to take care of their stuff, they were divided in their allegiance and Jesus is saying, no, I want you full surrendered. It, it's why Jesus would say later, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself Take up your cross and follow me. That's full surrender to Jesus. Growing up in the church that I went to, we had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Sunday morning for invitation, we would sing just as I am. Sunday night for invitation, we would sing I surrender all. And it really was a great song. And my dad was the music director at our church. And every Sunday night we would sing these words all to Jesus, I surrender All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. This is what the response should be of us when we see Jesus' authority is we surrender all. It's not just for the pastor and missionary. Every day we wake up as followers of Jesus. We should surrender our all to him and say, because you have ultimate authority, here's my life. I submit myself to your authority. In the story of nature, I, uh, Jesus' authority over nature, I see that the disciples respond with amazement. If you go back to Psalms 65, after it talks about God stilling the roaring seas and the roaring waves, verse 8 says, so that the those who dwell in the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. When we see Jesus' authority over nature, there should be amazement in our lives. We should be at all at at his authority over nature. When you watch the sunrise, and this is what Job would say in Job chapter 9. He's like, who commands the sun to rise and the sun to set? As Job is thinking through the trials that he's going through, and he's thinking about who God is, he says, who does that? God, right? Because he has ultimate authority. Jesus has ultimate authority, and it should lead us to amazement. Every morning when we watch the sunrise, there ought to be a sense in our heart of like, wow, he did it again. He showed his authority again. When we watch a storm come in and we see the beauty of the clouds and the thunder and the lightning and the rain coming right, there should be a sense of amazement that Jesus has authority over those things. The last thing that I want you to see that... in our response to Jesus' authority is that we should respond with security. Jesus has authority over darkness and because Jesus has authority over darkness, we live in security. We we don't live in fear of darkness. Why? Because John 10 says, the father has us in his hand and nobody can take us out of his hand. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 says, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. So our response to Jesus' authority is security, that I don't have to live in fear of the darkness. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the darkness. And they know that they're submitting to his authority. And so the only things that they can do in my life comes from a sovereign hand of God. And so I can be secure that no matter the battle that comes this week, Jesus has authority. And so I can walk in security. I can walk in confidence. I don't have to walk in fear. We have a little shorty at our house, a shih tzu yorky mix. It's his name, it's all, people always call him a she, but Coco Bean is his name. Um, our daughter named him a long time ago. And every time we tell people that, they're always like, oh, she's such a pretty dog. And it's like, oh, it's a he. He is a handsome dog. But our dog has recently started doing this weird thing in the morning. Every morning, as we're getting ready to go to school and to work, all of a sudden, he started shaking violently. Like just gets nervous and he'll get, as we're doing family devotions and eating breakfast, he'll get under the table and he's just like shaking, you know, his tail's going, or it's tucked and his rear end's going crazy because he's so nervous. And then he follows Ruth and Macy around and wherever they go, he'll like lay at their feet and Macy and Ruth are just so kind. They pick him up and they cuddle him and like, it's like, this is ridiculous, but whatever. They you pick him up and they cuddle him, it's like security, like it's okay. We'll be back, right? Don't worry everything's going to be okay. And here's what I think. sometimes we as Christians approach each day like cocoa bean and we're shaken and it's like, what's going to come to today and I don't know if I can handle today and can I encourage you because Jesus has all authority? You can be secure. He's with you, He's for you. You don't got to go into the day shaking. He has all authority. And there is no darkness that can come. A few weeks ago, I told our staff, I said, when I walked out of the house this morning, it was like I'm putting on the army warfare and we're going into battle. It's been times like that in my life recently. But here's the thing I walk out of our house like we're going into warfare, not in, oh, I hope I win today. I walk out of the house in confidence. Why? Because He has won, He has reversed the curse. He has all authority. Jesus is God and it should get down to a ground level for us that we live each day not in fear, but in faith. That we're the most confident people in the world. Why? Because we know the one who has all authority. So when cancer comes in our life, we don't fear it. When disease comes in our life, we don't fear it. When relationships are wrecked in our life, we don't fear it. Yes, it hurts and we cry and we weep, but we move forward in confidence. Why? Because Jesus has all authority. That's how we live our lives. We live our lives under his authority and it affects every day of our lives. Father, I'm so thankful for the authority that you have that you have authority over disease, that you have authority over us, that you have authority over nature, that you have authority over darkness. And so as a church, give us confidence. Help us to walk into life, walk into each day, not scared, but walk into confidence that no matter what comes in our life this day, you have all authority. Lord, I pray for the person in this room that needs to step out by faith and stop waffling with whether they believe you have all authority or not. And today they need to put their faith and trust in you and say, I believe today that Jesus has all authority and he can save them. And may you do that. And for those of us that have done it, Lord, help us to continue to live by faith. Help us to continue to every day surrender all Help us every day, Lord, to just live in amazement of you and your authority. Help us every day to live with confidence that you have overcome the darkness. We're so grateful, Lord, for the difference you make in our lives. Help us to live that out every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.